Hello, boils and ghouls <laughs> and non-dinary people. It's time for the last piece of the From the Rooftops October Spooptacular. It quivers, it hor- it screams and howls in the darkness. It pursues me. It terrifies me at nights. Please, please, get your mother out of my house, listener. Please. <laughs> By the way, I'd just like to uh, uh, let, let you all know... Um, in the video game Nuclear Throne, whenever an enemy dies, they make a meh sound. And now, every time I hear it, I can't help but remember Clay. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've talked about the science monster, and we've talked about the monster hunter, and we've dealt with some audio issues that hopefully won't be a problem this time. This time, however, we want to talk about cosmic horror. The grand scale of things. The things that we are not meant to know. The things that we cannot truly know. And why Galactus has purple shorts. Oh, because we're hacks. It'll just be tentacles. Oh yeah, fucking tentacles everywhere. (laughs) Get some public domain creepiness on that shit. Fuck all the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Galactus. Oh, God. Just, that's the thing, right? Because... If you're a good writer, you don't do Cthulhu too much in the superhero universe just because, A, it's played out, and B, there's ways to do that that don't necessarily jive real well with superheroes. So so here's the the first thing for nerd culture in general when it comes to Cthulhu. Uh, You don't like Call of Cthulhu because you're a fan of the work. I know this statistically. I've spoken to you. You you haven't read them, mostly. Um, what you are a fan of, however, is Cthulhu branding and Cthulhu merchandising, which kind of started mm. to explode around 1999-2001, because that's when H.P. Lovecraft's work fell mm. into the public domain and people could make shit without having to pay anyone. That's why we've got Cthulhu mm. everything. Not because there's some great resurgence, yeah. it's because it's free, right? <laughs> That's why comics from, like, the 60s and the 70s, they're not talking about fucking Cthulhu. They're talking about... Yeah, and and they're talking about Jack Morrison's extremely uh, prog rock album cover visions of space. Because... Yeah. That's their idea of the cosmic, not piles of tentacles. So what do you think the next thing's gonna be? Like, separating the weird... I mean, the free conversation from it, what's the next version of cosmic? Well... When we talk about cosmic in the context of uh, of media these days, particularly when we say cosmic horror, what it's usually used to represent is the idea of a vast universe that doesn't care about you. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, for some people, that's a big deal. You want to feel like there's a plan. You want to feel like there's some kind of sense of things. And it can be kind of... If that's what your life is based on, it can be really horrifying to think that, no, actually, it's all just bullshit. Yeah. Like... It just happens, and it's going to happen whether you're here or not. And the the other yeah. the other element of the cosmic tends to be uh, the futility of effort. You'll find that a lot of really powerful cosmic entities just blast through conventional uh, uh, problems. They they ignore the things that you can do to them because they don't care. Uh, they're not afraid of being shot or or stabbed or cut. If you go back to the original uh, Call of Cthulhu, the the actual book, um, in that story. Cthulhu at one point gets hit with a steam uh, boat. They crash it into him, and it's <laughs> enough to incapacitate him for a couple of minutes, and then they can, you know, sail away, leaving behind Cthulhu all angry and raging about having just had his head ca- caved in with a ship. 
And that was seen at the time. It's like, that's an enormous amount of effort. You plowed a ship into him and he survived it. And then you fast forward to yeah. the 1980s and they've got C- the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game source book where they talk about if you drop a nuclear bomb on Cthulhu, he comes back radioactive. <laughs> that's a, yeah. that's a yeah. scale thing, right? Like, it's always it's always bigger than the biggest thing you can yeah, think of. Yeah, it's right much like moment. Batman's money having been a moving target that really transforms the character. The the fact that we've gotten a lot better at destroying stuff since The Call of Cthulhu was written means that the Lovecraftian entities need needed to adjust as well. It's... Uh, and... It's going to be interesting to see where and if, you know, where that goes as we go. Yeah. It's only going to get better. Um, specifically, you might notice that um, a, lot of, a lot of cosmic horror-style stuff in, uh, in science fiction tends towards being extra dimensional now things that are transcendently beyond what we can even approach um event horizon purports the idea that there are multiple extra dimensions full of people that are just in hell spoilers for event horizon i guess <laughs> yeah yeah god it's been a while since i've seen that but th- that and that's a bit of kind of like dead space too or even just the idea of corruption the idea that it's so alien to us that its presence in this universe alters the yeah. state of the universe like that's that's part of the whole you know go mad thing but it's also just you know you, a monster comes through and it turns everything around it into monsters and it's it's not even directly acting towards you it's just sort of existing and you happen to be near it and that's too much because you know, that's the universe right like if a meteor is gonna come and destroy us it's not going to do it intentionally. It's just going to be going where it's going, and we're going to get yeah. hit. The same with a lot of big, horrible things yeah. that can happen. Now, um, on, a, on that note, then, we turn to, again, our, our much earlier podcast topic of the, the monster and the mutant as metaphor, where the idea that these things represent something greater than ourselves. In comics, most things tend to be very human very connected to a person or a thing you can imagine having a personality and that's where we get mm. to galactus oh yeah like i don't know i think it was near ao who said it the once galactus started becoming an entity a person you know with a perspective it you know shaved away some of the horror and some of the grandeur of him like once we know oh he's just a guy from the previous universe and he's got this that and the third and he's got like four brothers and all this shit it's like eh. yeah but when he first shows up, I mean, we talked about this when we talked about power yep. level, right? When they first show up and, you know, there's nothing you can do and you can't even really beat him. You could at best just kind of convince him to go do something else for a while. But, like, he's going to come back. That's yeah. really horrifying. The best Galactus I've ever seen is in the um, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon, which, hey, everybody go watch that it, wherever you can find it. it. used to be on Netflix, not anymore. Um... Galactus showed up and he didn't do anything. He didn't speak to anybody. I think he looked at someone once and they exploded and that was it. He was just there and things just started going to shit. Like, and this was the last episode of that show. So there was no time to set up heralds or any of the other stuff. He just was there and we don't know what to do. And we, we, we jump, you know, go into the machine and we fidget with it and then he disappears and says, did we do it? Well, I don't know. But if he comes back, we'll still be here. And that's a heroic moment, but it's also... Oh, fuck. <laughs> like, like, okay, they're not dead, but 
we're never going to see the show again, so they might just die next episode. You know, hypothetically, they could just die in ten weeks from that time. We don't know. You know that's that fan fiction. Galactus comes back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, again, metaphor. Things you can't prevent or guide. Things you can only postpone. And that's, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 storms. It's nature. It's destruction. And it's, to a certain extent, like the machinations of people all the way on the other side of the world. You have no well, control well, over. Well, crucially, crucially when it comes fuzzy. to entities like Galactus specifically, uh, one of the most important things about the Galactus in this context is that he is an out-of-context problem. We know storms. We know hunger. We know conspiracies and the machinations of evil people. We are familiar with all these things. There is literally nothing in the real world that we have dealt with in our lifetimes that is like a humanoid standing on the horizon fit to eat the planet. That is... There's nothing. You and I, with our specific extremely weird upbringings... We're told of things like that, and even we have a hard time grasping something like, like, how would you actually react? How would that actually work? Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of on that same level of, like, the whole zombie thing, where people, their first reaction is they don't know what to do, but the problem is that that reaction wouldn't last very long. And especially wouldn't last in fucking America because it was like, oh no, a guy is coming towards me. It looks dangerous. All right, bro. One word warning, and I'm gonna shoot you. Oh no, bam. And how far does yeah. that problem go in reality? Whereas the fuck you gonna do? You're gonna shoot Galactus, even if you have the presence of mind to do that. If if Galactus know? is in a position where he can <laughs> Good luck. stand next to Earth and have a meaningful visible self from the perspective of anyone standing on Earth and by the way, that means everyone on the opposite side of the planet is just seeing these legs sticking up into the sky, that's funny but (laughs) uh, if he's capable of doing that, if you shoot at him, your gun is literally not going to reach the the bullet (laughs) will arc down to Earth before it gets to him uh there's, I don't know, his gravitational field might attract it, but then that won't even affect uh, anything. One, one similar entity in, in um, comics that has been able to maintain some of its horror because no one's been able to replicate it since the actor behind it passed away uh, is Unicron from the Transformers. Same mm. general premise. Unicron is a world that consumes worlds. But in the case of Unicron... They did a, uh, what I feel is a very important thing, which is Unicron is petty. Unicron mm. doesn't like you. And that's that's something that separates him from Galactus, because Galactus does not care. Yeah, see, that's the thing that always comes to me. It's like the Phoenix Force. It's like uh, the Planet Eaters. It's like, again, Cthulhu, where it's not even all that concerned with you. It's just doing, it's just existing. Yeah. And... You know, its existence is a threat to your existence. Whereas, like, hypothetically, you could talk to Unicron, you know? If your your charisma score is high enough, you could bullshit I mean, they, the way around no, they that. tried. You're not gonna... <laughs> in, in the context of Lovecraftian horror, one of the elements of Lovecraft that he was reasonably good at representing across all of them is that the alien creatures you dealt with had variable reactions to humans... But none of them were in the vaguest way friendly. Like, the best you could hope for with some yeah. of the really horrible ones, like Uthugger, was just it didn't care. It would eat your world from the inside, but it wouldn't know that you were even there in the first place. Mm. 
that yeah when you um, get to things like the the Bayaki and, and the Migo the they knew what humans were and they hated us the, the, there's mm. like they think we're ugly and gross and stupid and we're mortal and that's horrible ew grotty and uh the the ones that deal with humans and make deals are like considered the creepy weirdo perverts of their society like oh you talk to humans ew mm. <laughs> and that's too the the interaction of humanity with this concept not just as readers but as characters within the story you know because a lot of it doesn't care about us in, in a story comes down to yeah. someone telling us that you know if it doesn't speak if Galactus doesn't say anything I mean he does these days but in the days when Galactus would just be it was up to you know the other people to say oh well there's nothing it's just a mountain or it's just an entity and you know Maybe there's some noise in our language our brains can't comprehend. And it's kind of when we talked about worshipping a god that isn't there versus worshipping one that is there. Or worshipping a god that shows no kind of compunctions. It's in that same way, which is why you get a lot of cultists and stuff. Because, you know, you worship Cthulhu, he doesn't talk to you. He just yeah. is. Well, he could be any. He could. He could be anything. You can project all kinds of shit onto that, and you know, draw from their power and how that works. The uh, go. The other. Um, hmm? I was gonna say, in a kind of similar side, you have. Um, you ever play a Total uh, Darkness? I have not played it, but I am aware no. of it. But for the sake of the listener, um, Total Darkness was a good like Lovecraftian game on the uh, GameCube, and more interesting things about it are two. One, you play different characters throughout history dealing with the eternal darkness and two it had a really amazing system of magic and how to cast spells where you basically had to craft statements of magic you know uh you know invoking god x like subject verb object and that was the spells but the big thing was there were four lovecraftian horrors on the other side of the veil and they all hated each other and didn't really care about us and the fourth one he lived on Earth and basically kept him from coming. And so that was the darkness. One side, one person worshipping their god wanted to bring theirs through. And you had to kind of stop that as these multiple people throughout time. And you didn't fight the Cthulhu monster. You fought one of his servants, which was just a dude that was corrupted. They fought each other out in space. And then you just kind of hoped they would go back on their own, out of their own free will. Yeah. But, yeah, that idea of people worshipping these guys that they never really see, and it talks to one of the guys, and the conversation is always, yeah, yeah, sure, whatever, I'll be here soon enough, Keep whatever, fuck off, you know? That was basically the tone that Ulyoff always had. Like, I, I don't care, I don't fucking care, I'm gonna be here, stop talking to me, human. <laughs> and there's a bit of that with, like, Dormammu, eh, very you, you can also kind of touch on the edges of that kind of thing with uh the watcher but the watcher is almost a sort of fork point for the very concept you have of what counts as a as cosmic because you have one flavor of cosmic which is well prog rock album covers brightly colored you know infinite futures possibilities parallel worlds adam warlock um the guardians of the galaxy binary star jammer stuff and that's that's all you know i'm riding a purple elephant uh, 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 across the scalp of an enormous human the size of a planet kind of thing and that's you know that's one flavor of cosmic but that's really very deliberately surreal and weird whereas the other flavor 
when you go in the Galactus direction is where you get the things that do not care. The things that dwell in places that are not so conducive to what we understand. Mm-hmm. It, it again, like after a certain point, if that, if you kind of just come to peace with that idea that the universe doesn't care about you, it becomes less horrible over time. I think that's an idea that's extremely horrifying to more religiously minded people because yeah. you know it's if like if you were raised atheist, I can't imagine that it's, it's super scary or not even atheist, just you know. I guess culturally religious, but not like practicing in that way. It could just be an interesting sort of, you know, you know, conversation. Oh, well, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think where you get a lot of the like surface level. Oh, I like Cthulhu yeah. and tentacles and stuff comes from. It's like you're not approaching it from the perspective of the person writing it. It's just, oh, this is a neat idea someone came up with and not someone, you know, venting their horrors about the universe and or yeah. about brown people oh, all oh, over the page. What's that? What's that? Did somebody summon the let's talk about <laughs> Lovecraft and his hideous fucking racism bell? <laughs> Alright then. So 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 real quick here, because ultimately cosmic horror does flow from the works of a very small number of academics, and those academics almost all had what we will lightly call problems. Um Lovecraft is very much a formative influence on a lot of what we consider cosmic horror, and Lovecraft's horror is based out of what he personally found scary. What he personally found scary was the ocean, was space, and brown people. Specifically, like, this idea of, you know, personal racial purity, where a lot of it was discovering that you're, like, 115th, you know, black or something, and that's the The worst. Anyhow. Translate that into fish people, well, but well, it's still I'll, the same I'll actually idea. go you even more specific on that one. There is a uh, a story of his about a man who reads a book in his family study uh, and responds to it by grabbing petrol from his uh, from from the shed, running out into the commons, and setting himself on fire and dying. And the rest of the story is mm. people picking through, going, "What the heck did he find out that made him kill himself so violently?" Despite the fact that he was like a lauded gentry with money and an estate and butlers and stuff. And the whole thing, when you trace your way all the way back to it, is that he had a great, great uh, grandfather who went to Africa and, while he was there, fell in love with and had a child with an ape. Like, an actual Mm. ape. And this is because the ape was a queen ape of an intelligent ape race in one of the many lost African (laughs) cities. Because, you've got to remember... This was a time when English people would go to Africa, look at all the ruins of cities and these giant estates and these highways and these amazing amazing architectural constructions and go, well, my word, who could possibly have built that? And all the African people from Egypt all the way down to South Africa going, us, we're right here. (laughs) We just left because that neighborhood sucked, dude. (laughs) The fucking Nile stopped flooding. We overthrew that monarchy. It... It, and, and then after that point, we went, do we need to build more pyramids? What purpose do they serve? Nothing? Right, fuck it. Let's ignore the pyramids then. That's why there's no more pyramids. The the entire idea of the the impossible continent of Africa and the, the, the terrible things in the water and the cultists of Cthulhu, they all trace back to things brown people did or said. He was scared of race mixing. Mm. This is something that's 
underpinning all of um, the Dunwich horror. That he was terrified of hillbillies and poor people. That's the that's the Dunwich horror. Um, you've got the 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 in, the Innsmouth look is you know what if you were related to a black person? I shit you not. Um, and he even mm. finds a way to throw in just a little casual uh, transphobia, which really for you know at the time it's kind of surprising that you would actually find someone who would who would be putting any of those themes in work. But uh, Lovecraft... Well, you know, a lot of that history of what people were doing in that regard at that time yeah. has been erased, so we don't even have a clear picture yeah, yeah. Uh, of what actually... Yeah. So Clay's absolutely right there. And by the way, the people who erased that history were the fucking Nazis. So eh, just don't... don't yeah. try, try and do things in your life in general that would annoy Nazis. Anyway, um, but in... The thing on the doorstep. The whole horror of that is, what if you were teleported into the body of a woman and the woman into your body? Mm. Um, Isn't that an anime? Isn't that an anime that's like super popular and being adapted uh, by name. somebody? Isn't that your name? Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no, but, but, but uh, the thing on the doorstep. Hmm, maybe I the thing on the doorstep is dizzying because it's the only Lovecraft work which has a major female character in it. Despite he wrote hundreds of stories, there's one with a major woman character, and uh, she's actually a time traveling sorcerer, hopper, hopping bodies and leaving be- leaving her um, husband behind in her dead, rotten corpse. It's a uh, it is dizzying the stuff he manages to jam into one reasonably short story. the The point is, a lot of this horror stuff has at its root the idea of looking at people who these days we are getting better at recognizing as people he says optimistically and recoiling from them in horror in in a lot of ways lovecraft's horror scenario is this podcast because you have clay and you have me and you have our personal lives and our relationships to the world we live in and all that stuff would have scared the piss out of him we yeah well, hey, you know, we'll we'll show them to one of those guys in their basements with the uh, the cork boards. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can, yeah, they can hang out. The, the <laughs> so this is this is the added added soupçon of the current rush towards Cthulhuid horror as your basis point. A lot of what you do when you go to cosmic horror in that vein is pulling in messages like that because. The stuff that Cthulhu was okay with and represented is stuff that I'm okay with and represent. Like, and lo, <laughs> Cthulhu rose from the ocean shouting to the heavens, how you live your life now matters more than a potential eternity. And race mixing is totally okay. <laughs> and it's okay to be queer, you know. <laughs> well, that's also one of the things where you have people who are part of that sort of flooding back. Like, you have Hellboy... Yeah you know, fighting back the dark horror. Like, he's one of them. And it's like, actually, fuck you and all this noise. It, it's, that's an attempt to s- sort of mm. split that hair, you know, where you just want the big horror monster, you want your Og Jujuhad, and you don't want that. And you have a fish man, and he's the coolest, smartest guy ever. And, yeah, see, so what does that mean? Hmm? You know, we've got two, what's the conversation though, right? It's two monsters and a white girl. So what is well, that like- actually? I, I would actually like to, uh, while we're talking about horror and you bridges into Hellboy, um, I'm not going to talk about Mignola's Hellboy specifically because I'm not that well versed in that canon. But I can talk about Guillermo del Toro's take on Hellboy. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, and God. GDT. Yeah. You want to hear someone talk about Gamble all day? You came to the wrong place, folks, because that's, that's what I'm going to do. His interpretation <laughs> of the Hellboy universe takes the monsters and removes them from where Lovecraft put them, the other, the outsider, the eroders of order, and puts them squarely in the hands of the fucking Nazis. All right? Mm. GDT's interpretation of the Odegra. The Odegra? Got that name wrong? Odru Jihad. The the horror monsters. The Ordru Jihad. Jihad. Yeah, the fucking... The, 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 the slumbering the tentacles guys. in space. Squirmy boys. Right? They, they boys. represent in this universe, rather than an aberration to order, rather than a corruption of everything we have known, they uh, represent in their universe the idea of they are the normal. Humans, with our resistance to them, we are the abnormal. We are the wrong. And that means that when the time comes to oppose these things, what you need are screwballs and weirdos and queers and marginalized people and the people who are ugly and trying to get by in places where they are not accepted. You, there's, a, there's a reason why in this movie you have Jeffrey Tambor representing like the whitest of white orders sitting around complaining about YouTube of all things. And, and, you know, oh, what if the kids get access to footage of Abe or something like that? Like, just this incredibly obvious image of I am stuffy normalcy. And that's one of the two yeah. things Hellboy fights against. The Cthulhuid monsters that want to return everything to status. To stasis. And Jeffrey Tambor, who wants everything to be nice and easy and orderly. If you want to take it another way, you can also look at the uh, Professor from yes. the second movie. Who, you know is very German and very tied into that and he gains humanity by becoming a monster. You know, he turns into a ghost and yeah. that humanizes him in that well, I mean, way. Unsurprisingly, you know, I mean GDT is really, really good for what he's trying to say with his stuff. So Yeah. He makes very simple points very like, strong. Consider what's what's the mighty villainous <laughs> force of the second movie? <laughs> it's an <sighs> Well, if you think about well, it's, it, it's, it's an army of golden humanoids commandeered by a white, long-haired, pretty boy who believes he's entitled to own it. Yeah, I'm just saying. He's not. It's, it, again, this is me though. <laughs> I, I kind of, I'm like, well, he's not wrong. You know, if he they, this rolled over us with the robots, this <laughs> might be better. Look, I mean, don't trade one set of colonialists look, for another set of colonialists, like man. Trust me, we're all shit. The, tr- the troll market looked like a fun place. What if everyone was like that? Well, yeah, and cool. Have a and, little baby tumor. To be fair, that dude probably would not have enabled and allowed the market. He he showed disdain and disgust for it while he was there. He wasn't like, yes, I will make the world like this. Anyway. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I don't know. He was friends with Wink. Uh, I think the other cool idea, as you see, is um in the Hellboy comics and in the animations, mm. the animated movies, uh, Hellboy just walks around in the wild, like, in public, he'll just show up to your job and be like, alright, it's my badge, alright, let's talk. You know, he'll just, he's he's been kind of normalized mm. at that point, as opposed to, you know, in the movies where it's this big secret, which I think is part of the value of cosmic horror, which is you discover something horrifying about the nature of your yeah. universe that you didn't know before, right? And it, some of that is, I mean, it's funny and it's kind of, you know, quirky to just have you know, monsters running around. But on the other side, it does feel more horrifying to just go around a corner and bam, there's a monster. I mean, that's, um, that, uh, <laughs> uh, that's a thing they had in City Heroes once 
where uh, if you talk to the, if you're going to join the Midnight Squad and you talk to uh, Mercedes Shelton and she just talks about, well, I was a little girl one day and my dad just took me to the basement and showed me a cosmic horror. And now I don't, you know, that just altered my understanding of the yeah. entire universe. It's a trick, right? That probably wouldn't, that requires a certain degree of magic in the creature. Because if I was to just, you know, walk down the street and see a tentacle thing, I'd be like, hmm, somebody tripped over a yeah. seafood truck, right? It would require more context. That's part of how, you know, giant, you know, infinitely large being and that, you know, shimmers and operates in visible spectrums outside of what you know helps yeah. it, right? It can't just be a monster. It has to be wrong yeah. in some and, and way. by the way, we can we can actually get things in the real world that uh, that do provide a very primal psychological response, but after people recognize that they exist, they don't then have a fundamental alteration of their mindset. We, we know, we've studied this. Um, if you're particularly interested, you could do a, a search into um, fungus types, because there are a lot of really gross and funky-looking fungi. Uh, tryptophobia warning on that one. If, if, like, lots of little arrayed holes bug you, that will bug you a lot. Um, there's also a type of worm called a, 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 a tube worm, which has an independent <laughs> tongue and... You can poke it, and it will vomit up its tongue, and its tongue will pull out of its mouth and crawl away from the body. It is an incredibly eerie, <laughs> eerie thing to see. It is absolutely the kind of thing Lovecraftian described. Lovecraft described in his books. I've seen it. It didn't ruin my perspective on reality. I didn't then look at this and go, "Well, clearly there's no loving God." It, it, uh, mm. and that right there is also one of the things about Lovecraftian horror. Most of it is based around a very unempathic view of things. Lovecraft was disturbed by the idea that he, as a white middle-class male, would not be the most important thing in the world. That really is it. You will not replace us. <laughs> yeah, and, and even... It's, it's that thing of knowing that you don't know, right? Like, understanding that your understanding isn't as deep and can't be as deep as it would be. So ha being at least prepared to be surprised, you know, to know that have that mentality that I may learn something that I didn't expect yeah. or understand. And that does, you know, affect your empathy because if someone can tell you something about humanity that you didn't understand before, if you're not prepared for that, that just fucks you up real bad. Yeah. And and indeed we and have if you but that's you're supposed to be an adult and learn that right that you don't know everything and that you're supposed yeah. to be ready to learn at all times and, and indeed that's one of the things you'll find as a recurrent theme in Lovecraft's work the people that are horrified the most by this stuff are intellectuals people who were convinced that they had an idea of how the universe worked and then find it's not entirely true the the everyday people the yeah. sailors and the cultists in in Call of Cthulhu the sailors go back to sea. After they've seen Cthulhu, and they're just like, oh, well, you know, <laughs> what what you gonna do? You've been saying here there'd be monsters <laughs> yeah. for generations. The fuck, we knew, some, we knew something yeah. was out there. <laughs> we just didn't really care yeah, about what I, it I, was. I gotta pay for the boat. I mean, sure. we, we crashed it into a giant <laughs> thing. We've gotta pay for repairs. And there is, a, there is a hallmark in comics with that, then, because you can look. 
who is the person almost always focal in the stories when Galactus shows up to mess with stuff? Yeah. It's always Reed Richards. And it's always it's always Doctor Strange when it's Shumagorath or Domamu and it's always a doctor or an expert of some kind. And Yeah. And hilariously, there's always some guy like the thing or Hellboy that just punch it in the dick. It, and it is essentially <laughs> an entire story trope of, well, look who thinks he's so fucking smart. <laughs> right. But it's funny because I occasionally feel like the writers don't no, get that all no, the time. No, they don't. Because right? they're, they're very happy to just come up with a way for the science guy to science it away. You know? Uh, yeah. They're like, yeah, of course Reed Richards found the ultimate nullifier and just, like, oh, he's smart enough to do that. Mm, I mean, he threatened to destroy the whole universe. <laughs> is he that smart? <laughs> that, that, to be fair, that right there is some Doctor Doom stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, it, it says a lot about his morality, right? It, it imp- indicates some horrible things about Reed Richards. Because, like, are you, like, that's the thing. I don't know. Were you going to destroy the universe, Reed Richards? Like, you talk shit, but, like, yeah. where's your mind? At? How seriously you wanna, do we have to take this? You want, you want Professor X to be right there to be like, hmm, yeah, we should kill this guy when this is all over. I was in there, he was gonna do it. <laughs> he didn't even have good trigger discipline there, right? <laughs> what, what exactly is good trigger discipline for the device that could end reality? I'm reasonably certain there is don't no, put your finger on the trigger. I'm reasonably certain there is no discipline good enough. Rule one: Don't put your <laughs> finger near the trigger. I had that. And, and the fun. And you've got your fingers can go all the way across the street. So like, if your hands are near, <laughs> you know you're yeah. I, so so there's a lot of he's stuff. Just, he's kind of wrapping his elbow around it, and his arm is all the way over there. And and so like, uh, and and with Doctor Strange and Shimagarath, uh because you brought them up, Shumagarath is, again, with the whole, you know, magic as metaphor, part of the whole point of Shumagarath is he is the thing that lurks outside of Doctor Strange's area of expertise. The whole point of stories about Shumagarath is, no, you don't know what you're doing here. (laughs) Yeah, and, of course, it's it's one of those, the longer a comic book goes on, because, like, now... I primarily think of Shumagorath as a character in yeah. Marvel Like, as a fighting game character. To be fair, he fucking owns <laughs> so it's in like, that game. Yeah! <laughs> and it's just, like, that's what happens you let it go. The, 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 you know, you have a being from the Cancerverse, and now all of a sudden it's just, you know, it's got a DP and a dive kick and shit. You know, it's a function. It's a function of Cthulhu. Yeah, and, and for that matter, around the point you have adorable fan art being made of your character, you've probably missed the mark on the horror element. It's done. Though, well, I mean, that's the same thing as, like... Though saying that, the same I thing think as like, that um, one of the things that happens is that people's natural response to horror is to try and defang it, to try and take some control of it, and oh, there yeah. are always going to be people whose response to mm-hmm. being told, you should be horrified, are going to try and find some way to claim it and say, fuck you, I'm going to handle this the way I want. So, you know. Mm. It, that, that's going to happen, but it's when... That's the thing about, like, canon, and that's a conversation to be having, because, like, it's different when fanfiction does it, and it's always different with, like, Lovecrafty and stuff, because it's yeah. free and it's out there. But, like, when you have a group of people controlling it, then it's your fault when it loses its yeah, teeth. Yeah, yeah, right? you fucked up. Right. It depends on how fucked up fucked up is. Like, Dormammu, I kind of liked Dormammu, for all the things that, you know, whatever, about the Strange, I like Dormammu in the 
Doctor Strange movie a bit because you don't fight him. It is right? do they annoy? He's basically death, right? just. I'm oh, sorry, not not death, but yeah, annoyed annoyed into complacency, which is not a bad idea, but it does add some humanity to him, right? It does. Well, I, I take uh, has always been very human. He's a lot like a unicorn. Well, I quite like the. He's also a fighting game character. Uh, the thing so. I quite like about uh, about the the whole point of Doctor Strange annoying the great cosmic entity into into complacency at the end of that particular story is Doctor Strange's power is never really in question up to that point in in the narrative. Like the whole point of Doctor Strange is he is a very very good spells person. So the question mm. of is he a good enough spells person to spells the thing that needs spelling that's not an interesting question compared to what about you? What about this person changes the interaction with the villain? And that's something that cosmic horror can really right. get to because you can't beat cosmic villains with, uh, with, with just power. The whole point of them is that they are meant to be implacable. They, so, so if you do do something right. that bests them, it might be something about you that is, is specific to the problem. Um, love, uh, not Lovecraft, um, uh, uh, um, T-Ray, the villain from Deadpool, had shades T-ray. of this, uh, Lovecraftian okay. horror as he tapped death. Go Sorry. on. <laughs> Go T-ray, on. T-Ray, the albino, who was the real Wade Wilson, because early Deadpool's a thing, all right? Anyway, the point is that uh, uh, T-Ray talks about this, about how he has been in places and, and gone and done things in the name of understanding the world that Wade never will. And that means that he has a, a, a whole fa- carnival of horrors that Wade can never truly uh, understand or deal with. And that's kind of like, ooh, ooh, ooh threatening. Mm. And then it the, turns out that the problem is that Deadpool himself is so deeply in denial and so utterly messed up that trying to horrify him on a cosmic level is pointless he, he doesn't work that way his, his horrors are all very personal and intimate things like being left alone yeah that, uh, that again it's the it's the, the horror of mm. knowing and, the, uh, and also it's the that's who the you idea of you go mad right it you, you're exposed to something so outside of your mentality but again if you're moderately well adjusted you can deal with that it shouldn't be that heavy it's this interesting fear that only comes about like um you have those you know guys like elon musk and shit and they're going around like trying to figure out how to get outside of the matrix they think are in here's a trick right let's say right now fucking two men black walk in my door and they say hey you figure it out that your computer program. I'm like, you don't have to kill me, dude. Me knowing I'm in a computer program doesn't really change my yeah, situation yeah. at all. <laughs> like, what's, what's the price? Of, what's that got to do with the price of rice in China, brother? It doesn't fucking yeah. mean anything. <laughs> I can't get out. So and, whatever. And that that's Continue one of the things on. about this in that a lot of these ideas. Again, back to back to the whole idea of the uh, of Reed Richards, the smartest man in the world, dealing with this problem is. It's usually horrifying to the kind of people who think that they can understand everything, that they are... Well, it's a shitty nerd horror, alright? It, it's the kind of thing that scares shitty nerds. <laughs> you, you, right. I, I'm not trying to say every person who likes Lovecraft's horror is a shitty nerd, alright? I know... I mean, there's some cool visuals and aspects, and, you know, depending on who's writing it and how, it can really hit you in a great place. But once you go past that sort of surface level... 
what is it speaking to in you? I mean, that's a part of our art, right? Not just analyzing what's going on in the art, but analyzing why it yeah. affects you in the way that it does. You are a... Yes, we were talking about earlier about self-analysis. Yeah. You are right? a lens to examine the art. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wipe it off every once in a while and look through it and see what that says. Because, yeah, I, I find some of... Like, I like the idea... When you talk about, like, power level and threat, or I say I find cosmic level threats bigger than, like, big space guys. You know, I find the Phoenix Force to be scarier than Thanos. It's more of a direct threat they present than it is about horror, because, you know, you can't kill the Phoenix Force. Hypothetically, you can kill Thanos, or you can talk him down. Or you can wait till he fucks it up on his own, because that's the point. (laughs) Right. You know, a cosmic force like the Phoenix or Galactus, they're just going to do what they're going to do endlessly without any kind of intention or function. It's just going to be. And that's a thing you can't punch to death, even if you can shoot. You know, you can't yeah. beat that. You could circumvent it at best. But you can beat up Thanos if you And that, big by the way, is the big secret of, of the of the Jean Grey as Phoenix stories. When the Phoenix is Jean Grey, it's something you can deal with. Mm-hmm. You you give it a it's 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 the same thing as stuff like the red or the gray or the speed force where they're much more horrifying when you have no conception of them and they're much more of a problem in terms of a tangible thing you can deal with when they can't be dealt with you just adjust for it you know it's similar to illness or viruses you know like hypothetically. What are you going to do with sickness? Ride it out. Hopefully it it works its way through you and you survive it. And maybe you can take drugs to hold it off or keep yourself alive long enough for yeah. it to be done with you. You know? And that's kind of that problem they represent. It's, in a certain degree, it's it's Superman and his dad's heart attack, right? It's, well, I can't fucking save that. There's no amount of super strength is going to stop yeah. a heart attack. I, I, no amount of punching is going to stop... You know the horror, and that brings on. Um, and, and that's the thing; those are those are all various forms of sadness and horror and threat that superhero comics let us dang- tangle with. But to get to that cosmic level, to get to that grand out of context problem, you do need to get weird. And comics are really good at getting mm-hmm. really weird. Oh, like yeah. even even the red, like you bring up the red, and the red is not actually that great. Uh, uh, the red and the green, they aren't that great an example of, of cosmic horror because they are explicitly tied to things we can look at and understand. Like, oh yeah, we do treat the environment shittily. I guess that's on us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, they're just, you know, <laughs> that's, right, that's our fault. But here's the question, like, what's the, what's the ultimate, like, middle ground? Like, how do we fully negotiate that? Can we ever fully negotiate peace with nature in that way? Or can we just do a minimal amount of damage to that? Like, can we resolve our relationship with nature? But again, that's still a human thing. Um, and I mean, even yeah. death in the Marvel universe is humanized, and that's indeed part of what makes Thanos not very cosmic because he is ultimately defined by his relationship to yeah. a human interpretation of death. Yeah, it's the same way with um, 
other, you know, death or Grim Reapers or stuff like that. Like, the minute you can play chess with the Grim Reaper, he yeah. becomes less scary. When it's just a thing that's coming for you and you're fucked, you know, that's the same thing. It's the universe of, well, no, you're going to have to yeah. die. That's it. It, it. You can't deal with that. So, you know, that's frightening. But the minute it's fucking um, Necron, it's like, eh, fuck Necron. Yeah. Let's go over there and punch and, him. And, yeah? and to be fair, that comfort <laughs> that, that comics give us, the fact that I, I want to go over and punch Necron, that's nice. I I have yeah. been in the moments where I have been you know waiting in a hospital room thinking, man, I'd like to punch Necron. Yeah, it's uh, it is a lot of that, man. It's well, you know, for me, the exposure to death is a weird sort of thing. Where death is more horrifying to me. Well, other people's death is more horrifying for me in the effect it has on the living. Yeah, you know. Yeah, see, seeing how it impacts people. Yeah. You know, Right, like, whatever a dead body, whatever somebody's got to die, that sucks. What's going to suck after is the, the family, mm. the people who have to pick up the pieces. And that's sort of, I guess, the other side. That's, again, the Hulk thing, the, the, the cult thing, the corruption thing. It's not just the horror they represent, but how that horror impacts people. It's the idea that it'll drive people mad and turn them into monsters and warp everything you know, around them. there is a there is a line can be from of all things a song by a, a, a skeptic artist that i actually quite like for this front which is i'm glad i get to miss you and that you will never have to miss me yeah and yeah it's yeah that that's the kind of framing that that i come at these things from so for me cosmic horror is much more what if everyone's fucked <laughs> yeah like yeah what if we are all in that position like at yeah. all times and <laughs> yeah, <They> kind of are. <laughs> and that, that's just the reality of the thing. Is that we all kind of we, are we, in that we situation? Might, we might wind up in our lifetimes getting the whole cosmic solution to death itself, and that'd be kind of dope. But then we've got to work out how to not fuck things up on an even bigger scale than we ever thought possible before. So, <laughs> you know, this reminds me completely like sideways to this whole conversation is uh you know Fermi's paradox, yeah. right? Where you know, like. If there's aliens, why haven't we seen them yet? Or whatever. And part of that argument is if they're smart enough to make space travel. Or if they're as smart as us, they will have made space travel. And at no point did they ever say, why would they? Like, if they're very smart, what if they just make peace with their planet and don't feel yep. the need to leave, right? Because they're, they're, they're too smart to go to space. And that's also part of it, that unknowable aspect. Like, one day we're going to encounter extraterrestrial life if we don't destroy ourselves before yeah. then and that's going to be completely like alien to us one of the, one of the most uh, uh fascinating no way to understand things is where we're very likely to encounter extraterrestrial life in our lifetimes in the form of fossils like we're very very likely to mm -hmm. find fossilized bacteria on mars it's just you know yeah oh that's it that's first contact mm -hmm. oh shit <laughs> yeah well, there's also the whole thing of finding, you know, microbes, but you know, th that's probably, that's going to be a footnote yeah. in the book, right? It's going to be the first time we spoke yeah. to an alien, and it's going to be and someone... I mean, one of the, one of the things about Fermi's mm. paradox that is meant to be part of, its, part of its actual cosmic horror of what if human civilization is incompatible with solutions to Fermi's paradox, Fermi's paradox also operates on an idea of size and speed. It might well be yeah. that... The reason we haven't seen any aliens yet is because space is really big. Like, really, really big. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
And what's out there, man? That's always the question. <laughs> what's yeah. the fuck's out there? And and the thing and the thing <sighs> is, we also know that space, in addition to being big, is incredibly hostile. So, like the the reasonable yeah. scientific sci-fi perspective on the matter is building anything to go and explore space is such an enormous expenditure of resources and time and effort for no apparent gain that you might wind up, you know, why bother? Um, And we, we, we have a kind of a fundamentalist view, which is, of course, all things would want to do that because that's what we want to do. It's like, well, maybe not other races want to fuck aliens that badly because, because that's, that's really where a lot of this is coming from. The other thing is, um, and to use a, a, a non-comic book example, but he did write comic books, and he's friend. He was friends with a bunch of people who do write, some, who did write some very, very good comic books. Um, Douglas Adams, in uh, mm. I believe it's the fourth of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy trilogy, the book uh, called uh, "So Long and Thanks for All the Fish." No, uh, yes. yeah, what? No, yeah, no I can't remember which one, one it was. It's the one with the bistro math. Um, in right. in uh, that particular in, in that book. He posits the existence of an alien species that discovers, that, that builds their entire culture around the idea of their planet exists. And they live in a weird little bubble uh, of clouded uh, space where there's like just enough particles and bullshit going on in outer space that they don't, uh, that they, they literally don't have anything in their night sky. And they have a whole mm-hmm. civilization and they get to high levels of tech and they eventually develop space travel uh, and all that stuff, but they never bother. Like they have, they're at that level of tech, but they don't bother right. because why? There's nothing up, and it's so deep and fundamental a view of what the world is like that they don't. That like he describes um, a poet from this planet sitting around and singing a song and describing a uh, uh, not a lady as being under the moonlight, but ob- above the grass. <laughs> and yeah, and, it's been so long. Yeah, he's books, really man. good. <laughs> the and the <laughs> thing is that eventually these people something happens i think a probe crashes on that planet and then they're just like there's an outside oh my god we have to kill all of it like for for them the entire (laughs) idea of space travel is we need to kill whatever is out there how dare it prove that our entire worldview was messed up oh yeah and yeah that's the thing right but because you part of that is you can't have your superhero who's gonna go on for like 50 issues like be so fundamentally changed by their, you know, their understanding of the universe that they, like, quit or they completely jump ship and something entirely different. You can't have Doctor Strange meet Shumagorath and then succeed and come back and, like, this is all meaningless and, like, stop and, you know, become a vagrant. I mean, you could. Then, what, what, that would actually be going? legitimately kind of impressive you to could. try and pull that off. Uh, but... Yeah, but you're not... Uh, you can't sell movies yeah, you really that. can't. <laughs> Certainly not ones with Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch. Maybe. Yeah, uh, oh, oh, oh. You got it right. I did. I've been practicing. Try. You're slipping. Like You're slipping. he doesn't with the word <laughs> penguin. Wait, really? Is, it, is there some kind of Benedict Cumberbatch penguin controversy uh, I don't know about? He, he just can't say the word penguin properly. There's an interview he's done where he's talked about uh, uh, about um, watching a David Attenborough special about penguins. And, and he says the word penguin like five times in the interview and he doesn't get it right once. Hey man, penguins are fucking horrifying on the road. Ever looked in a penguin's mouth? (laughs) It's horrible. That's the thing too. I can't fully blame Lovecraft for being terrified of the sea 
everything down there sucks. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing is, he lived on the coast. He lived in the New England coast. And this is before deep sea exploration was a thing. And it was just after and around the time submarine exploration was a thing. So he'd see shit washed up on the shore like half-decayed whales and just be like, oh, no, no. oh it's, it's a hellscape down there. <laughs> like, of all the things he's scared of and creeped out by... The, the the ocean is not a weird one. He is on the mark for that. Shit's fucking terrifying. There's the there's that ocean that's under the ocean that has its own beach and like its own ecosystem. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't even know. We don't even know most of the shit. On the very bottom there. of the ocean, there is a species in large numbers of deep sea pill bugs that are the size of house cats. And exist to strip organic matter from anything that falls down to the bottom of the ocean, which includes corpses and trees and all sorts of stuff. No, the fucking. What about the whole thing with um? Yeah. And how they uh, like just like, like if you get an anglerfish in your net, your fucking whole catch yeah. is done because they eat everything, no mm-hmm. matter what size it is. And then they're all, you, most of them are like five fish stapled together because the, the males, like, attach themselves to the females and then just become a pair of constantly, you know, sperm-generated yeah. balls that just, you know, pump them into... And so they just have a bunch of lumps on the side of them. Who are those? Those are all the, my exes. The, the, the <laughs> thing about the anglerfish getting in your net and, and, and messing it up, it's even worse than you think. That chewing thing they do isn't even something they do consciously which is to say if you kill one it will sit there and chew for a little while <sighs> i learned about this after watching iron chef oh oh god someone tried to eat anglerfish uh, must yeah be they gave them an extra half hour because they're gross <laughs> oh god Oh fucking! Oh man! Fucking oh, hagfish! Yeah. Like real hagfish, or uh, it's just an anus. It's just an asshole just wandering around eating and, things. And, and there's also the. Have you ever seen a? Have you ever seen a hatchet fish? Hatchet fish. Hatchet, are those the tall ones? No, those are like the yeah. The ones, ones that just look eyes. like people. They look like a, a, a 19th century illustration of a screaming face. Oh man, they look okay from the side. It's just that from the uh, some of them look okay yeah. from the side. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, dude. Like the that I mean, that's a lot of horror. It's just the unknown, right? Like that's what makes ghosts scary. Is we don't know what they're gonna do. That's what makes werewolves scary because you don't know who is a werewolf. Same with vampires. And that core aspect of cosmic horror is the opposite of discovering all the horrible things you didn't know, right? And still not being able to put it in the words, not being able to define it. But knowing it is something that can fuck you up pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> the the nature <sighs> of all of these things, and I guess the way horror works in general, is that horror is a thing that a story wants to do to lean on a section of your mind where you're not comfortable and require you to think about it to keep going with the story. Yeah. Right? And the- it's one of those good things in games where that are good at it that build tension and release it at a, at the right time that was from the rooftops a podcast about superheroes that was clay and that was talon and with this this should be the end of our october spooktacular but we might be able to return to something other than me yelling very angrily about iron fist 
next week, we're going to talk about Blade. Uh, actually, we're going to be talking about the 12 Cities of Heaven and The Amazing Man. <laughs> and that's public domain, too. 